Good morning. I'm Earl Stewart. I welcome you to Earl Stewart on Cars, a live talk show all about how to buy, lease, maintain, or repair your car without being ripped off by a car dealer. With me in the studio is Nancy Stewart, my wife, co-host, and a strong consumer advocate, especially for our female listeners. We also have Rick Kearney, an expert on how to keep your car running right. I dare you to ask a question that Rick can't answer about the mechanics or electronics of your car. Also with us is my son, Stu Stewart, our link to cyberspace through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Periscope. Stu is also the Spymaster Director of our Mystery Shopping Report. He dispatches our secret shopper weekly to an unsuspecting South Florida dealership. And now, on with the show. Hi, everybody. I know you probably don't believe me, but this is really close to the high point of my week. I, uh, I mean, I love what I do, and I love life, but uh, Earl Stewart on Cars on Saturday mornings. I feel better when I sit in this chair and I talk to you. I'm not sure why. Maybe I need a psychiatrist. At any rate, I'm a recovering car dealer. I have uh, been doing this show uh, with Nancy Stewart for many, many years. I'm approaching 15, maybe over that. And uh, what we are all about, and I say this to the newbies out there in the audience, true oldies here, and I know we have a lot of regulars, so bear with me. We're a show about how to not be taken advantage of by your car dealer. And there are many ways you can be. And that's why we're here. Uh, Consumer advocacy and consumer support. Uh, We answer your questions. It's a live talk show. I guess maybe that's the reason I feel a certain amount of exhilaration. Because, you know, it's 20,000, something like that, people out there. And we have Facebook and Twitter and Periscope. We're not just uh, on the the radio, per se. And it's a two-way you know, live talk. You call us at 877-960-9960. You might want to write that down because it's too soon probably to have a question. Maybe not. Um, area code 877-960-9960. More popular than the audio, the old-fashioned, uh, you know, call on the telephone kind of a thing is our texting. Texting has really taken off big time. And you can text us at 772 772- Four nine seven six five three zero, and I'll give it to you again. And if uh, you can write this down, it'd be great. Text us at seven seven two four nine seven six five three zero. Love to hear from you. Uh, when I sat down, my son Stu Stewart says we have some anonymous feedbacks already, and we have that for those. For, a lot of people just don't want to be identified as a privacy. I don't. See, that's good or bad. I'm just saying there's a certain segment, a significant segment of our listeners that prefer just to communicate. And they don't say bad things. Uh, Occasionally we'll get a a criticism. Occasionally we'll get a a jab. But most of the anonymous feedbacks are well thought, great suggestions or questions. And that anonymous feedback uh, website you can go and click on is youranonymousfeedback.com. www.youranonymousfeedback.com anonymousfeedback.com. Love to hear from you on that link, too. And remember, we've got a certified master diagnostic diagnostic technician in the studio. His name is Rick Kearney. You heard me mention him in my introduction. And this guy can answer any question that you have about any car. Uh, 
it isn't uh, electronics is the name of the game today. But I don't. If you have a problem with your carburetor, if you have a car that old, he can answer that because Rick started the business back in the days of car- carburetors and coils and the old-fashioned stuff. And he's been going to school steadily. He stayed on top of his profession. And um, any, anything you have, I know that Bluetooth is a big problem. Uh, there are a lot of connectivity problems with Apple Play. I'm having some myself in my car. So if you have those types of questions or you have uh, suggestions, uh, you can talk to Rick Kearney. And uh, Nancy Stewart, I mentioned, is my co-host, wife. She's been on the show with me for a long, long time. Her big thing is consumer advocacy. And uh, she is uh, the reason that we have pretty close to 50-50 female callers. We have a lot of regular female callers, and we have new female callers. Nancy, tell them about the super-duper, no-strings-attached bonus we have. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, First, I want to make a comment about Rick. I think at this point, um, I think he could rebuild an engine. He is so good. He did that when he was 14. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Twelve. You show off. Hey, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Can you feel the energy? We all love being here. Jonathan, Rick, Stu, myself, and ladies, we would love you to join us. You are an important part of the show, and we have a little incentive to get you going. $50 for the first two new lady callers. You can call us at 877-960-9960. That's 877-960-9960. And here's just a little bit of statistics that I came up with this morning. Did you know that there were 1.4 million women who are licensed and driving more than men? Yeah. Women also tend to purchase more new cars than used cars. So there you go. Ladies, be part of the show. Give us a call at 877-960-9960. And don't forget to text us at 772-497-6530. Now back to the recovering car dealer. You know, I'm going to congratulate Stu, and I'm going to congratulate Agent Thunder. Uh, we picked a dealership, the mystery shop, and Agent Thunder went above and beyond the call of duty and performed amazingly. So you want to stay tuned for the uh, Mystery Shopping Report. It was uh, unique in the, and, and it reflects the fact that we responded to your suggestions. I believe it was an anonymous feedback. It may have been a text. But someone said, why don't you use that out-the-door price affidavit that Nancy came up with when you mystery shop? And we are, and we did. And it was amazing. And you're really going to enjoy it. So, uh, Sue, you've got some uh, anonymous feedbacks over there. And you may have some comments about the mystery shopping report. Yes, I do. I was really proud of Agent Thunder, and it was a lot of fun this week. Um, we mix it up sometimes, uh, and, and our listeners have told us this. It can get tedious sometimes uh, if we're on the same subject over and yeah. over again. So we've we've broken it up a little bit recently um, and spread out into different topics. And this week we um, used the uh, out the door price affidavit, not knowing how it would uh, how it would go down, yeah. how the people involved at the dealership would react because it's. It hasn't been done before, um, as far as we know. Well, tell them what the, uh, the door price affidavit is. So yeah, so uh, listeners. Nancy came up with a, a really creative idea to um, get a car dealer or the salesperson, the management, to commit to a final out-the-door out price 
um, without any more surprises. So the idea is you sit down with your salesperson, you work out your best deal, and then you present this form that you ask them to sign it that commits them to not add any other um, accessory package, hidden fees on top of the price that you guys agreed to. And um, you know, we, we, we suspected that there would be a little pushback because it, it's, um, it, it looks like a legal form. Um, it's, uh, it's called an affidavit, um, it requires a signature. And we just thought, and I think uh, Nancy was aware of the irony of the thing when she came up, as a, as a customer, as a consumer, you're asked to sign so many things when you go into a dealership. And it's kind of like you know, getting a, you know, going to a doctor and being examined. You, you're, you're not the expert, <laughs> do this, do that, and, and, and we tend to obey. Uh, this is turning the tables on the car dealer and asking them to sign a document that they're not entirely sure about. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a karmic sort of thing. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to give any spoilers for the mystery shop today. Let's just say, quite our best. It, it's yeah, it's entertaining. So, yeah, so very stay exciting. tuned around 9:30 or so. And then, um, other than that, like uh, like you said, I'm 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 here trying to uh, get all the comments to you from uh, our social media channels like Facebook um, and Twitter. Um, and, uh, and Rick's handling YouTube because it's I only have a 15-inch screen on my on my computer here. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so send in your questions and also on your anonymous feedback. That's becoming one of the um, the most popular ways to get questions to us. So go to youranonymousfeedback.com. It comes right to my computer. I'll, I'll ask the questions or read the comments on the air. Rick, uh, let me ask you a question. What is the most common problem that you see from drivers, customers, with regard to the current state-of-the-art electronics, and I'm thinking about Apple Play, I'm thinking about uh, U- uh, Bluetooth, uh, maybe even navigation. I mean, it's complicated, and you have the problem, do they pair with the smartphone that they buy? Everybody's got a different kind of, not everybody, but there are different kind of smartphones. The biggest problem that we had for a long time, and this one very specific, I know, but it, it was Toyota's Entune system. Um, it's like that uh, Ford came out with a system like this where you would pair your phone and yeah. it had certain things, apps that would work with it. And they were clunky. They didn't work well. They weren't user-friendly. They were horrible. So all the manufacturers did it their way. And you had a GM and you had a Ford and exactly. you had a Honda and a Toyota. A few of them uh, saw, like Ford, I think, actually realized that Apple Play was the name of the game. And they jumped in with a Apple A lot Play. of manufacturers yeah. saw the light very, very early and started using Apple CarPlay and the Google Car app years ago. Uh, now I think everybody's on board now. Yeah. Even Toyota has finally stepped up and realized, oh, this was a mistake, and and everybody's going now. And it, it's one, one of our biggest issues that we saw was pairing phones to the car. Like Apple, the nice part was that every Apple iPhone, the way to get to pair the car, phone to the car, to pair the Bluetooth, mm-hmm. was identical on every model. Mm-hmm. They never changed that part. They Correct. kept that the same. Android, because it's an operating system, was different on every single phone. Every manufacturer that used an Android system had a different way of getting to it. And there were some phones, uh, in fact, there were some high-volume smartphones that uh, consumers has. I think the name of the phone was Consumers or something like that. And that was so basic, it was difficult to pair with any system. Right. Some of them just, they their technology, they kept it to almost caveman levels. Cricket, I think, was one. Cricket, yep, yeah, was one. And so as the cars advanced so fast, the radios in the cars kept advancing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, now we're at the point where 
uh, for, for several years, we were updating the radio software by simply downloading a program from our from the manufacturer we put it on a jump drive then plug it into the car and it would update the radio now in the latest models 19 and 20 you get in the car and all of a sudden it'll, a screen will pop up and says hey there's an update available for your radio would you like to do it now you hit the button and a Within a minute or two, boom, it's done. So if you have any questions for Rick, it's getting great. Uh, give, give Rick a call. He can probably <laughs> nail down uh, an answer for just about any make car and any kind of phone. Um, maybe not, but it's worth a call. And just call him at 877-960-9960 or text him at 772-497-6530. As a matter of fact, we've got a uh, YouTube question right now. just oh, came up. Uh, Perfect. Omega Rojo. Is asking, I have a question. I'm looking to buy a car in March, but if the economy tanks, should I wait to get the best deal? I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, uh, you're you can get a good deal now. Uh, car business has been better. Uh, car sales are off for a lot of manufacturers. We shop the Nissan dealer. I'll give you a little hint. And car sales are way off for Nissan dealers. Uh, I don't think uh, you're going to get a better deal when the economy tanks. Uh, you'll get the best deal if you l listen carefully to our suggestions. If you read our, if you meet uh, EarlOnCars.com, my blog uh, has got. Uh, an explanation for just about anything you will encounter on uh, how to do it on buying a car. But take your time is my advice. Start uh, doing your research today with consumer reports and other things available to you on the Internet. And, and when you finally decide the exact car that you want, then be sure you get three competitive prices. But I wouldn't wait for the economy to tank. I'd say go ahead and and be careful and call this show. Uh, email us, text us, uh, and we can give you some good advice. So you got some anonymous feedbacks over there. I don't do you? indeed. Yeah, they're, they're, they come in. They're, they're they're ready for us. Uh, they know we're going to be on in the morning. So here we go. Here's the first one. Um, this one's a little bit unusual, but I'll read it anyway. Um, Earl, I've been critical of one of your team members in the past, in particular of that team member's slow articulation and speech. I've tried myself to make a video about a topic I know quite well, but then I fell victim to what I don't like in presenters. A slow speech pauses and seemingly eternity before a point is made. I need more practice, and I need to retract my past criticisms. Thank you. Hmm. A little cryptic, but... Well, it's, yeah, I, I think that if live radio, I think if you would join us one day as a guest, you would find out that it's not always easy uh, to be uh, uniform and, and appealing to all of our listeners. Um, I've had criticism from the past of speaking too fast. And when I get excited, the adrenaline goes. I do the same thing. I kind of stumble over my words. It's the coffee. And sometimes I speak too slowly. Um, live radio is a challenge to all of us. I apologize if you're having problems following any one of us, but we will certainly concentrate and try to get better. We, we welcome constructive criticism. Yeah. And we, we hear your criticism. And I know that I speak slow sometimes, too. I, I speak slowly when I'm thinking. And uh, yeah. and if I'm thinking too much, uh, that's overload and my words don't come out right. But uh, your comment and constructive criticism is heard, and we will certainly try to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that was a good point that you made 
<clears throat> uh, as far as uh, you know, being in the studio, uh, being caught up in the moment, yeah. and feeling that passion, and uh, you know, just uh, o- overthinking sometimes because the information that you want to put out there, you want it to be well the best information that our listeners can absorb and uh, the passion here is unbelievable and so is the energy and we try to do the best we can but we definitely appreciate your comment and and as a uh, professional broadcaster I can give advice (laughs) on that Um, just do what Earl does uh, drink a couple of cappuccinos a large coffee approximately 700 milligrams of caffeine and you you will speak much more rapidly I promise you I speak very rapidly okay excuse me guys we have a someone very special and we haven't talked to him in quite a while. Good morning, John. John's calling us from Palm City. Oh, John, welcome back. Where you been? Hey, John, good, good morning to everyone. Um, I, Errol has the right answer with the guy that's worried about the economy tanking. Uh, nobody mentions, nobody, about the General Motors strike. It's been going on, yeah. I can't even count how many weeks now. Mm-hmm. And it's inevitable. It will be settled. And it's only questionable uh, that the answer is... The price will go up on the GM cars. And one of the biggest things that's holding up the strike is with the health care plan. But uh, they eventually will get settled. And before Earl and I were born, the worst strike automotive and United Auto Workers in history was in 1937. I forget how long it lasted, but it was absolutely the worst in history. So I just want to mention that it's inevitable that when this gets settled, and the prices will go up. It's no question about that. You're and right, The second John. thing I have is, do you agree with me, Earl? I do, yes. Okay. And the second thing I want to ask you, and it dawned on me, when everybody's, before the hurricane, especially when they were lined up at the gas stations, and I said to myself, this is crazy, pushing the hoses because it's on the left and on the right side, and it's, it's confusion. So I want to ask Rick, what's the reason that he think it was so easy when Camaro came out and, and uh, um, <coughs> the Ford Thunder, um, uh, how come I can't think of Ford? Thunderbird? Yeah, no, no, no. The, Mustang, uh, Mustang. Mustang. Yeah. Okay. It's dead center in the back, which could not be easier for anybody to gas up a car. Could, could it be a safety factor? I'm, I'm going to see what Rick's opinion is. And why didn't they continue that on all cars? Great it's question. It's so simple. Gasoline right in the back, either by the license plate or dead center, and fill up your tank. Well, the simplest answer to that is for safety factor. Uh, probably, I'm going to say, 60 to 70% of car collisions are a hit from behind. And like they found with the Ford Pinto, having a gas tank in the very back of the car was a bad idea. That's why most fuel tanks now are located ahead of the rear suspension and the rear axle in a safer, more solid part of the body. Unfortunately, if you want to have that filler in the very back, you've got to have a long filler neck now, which again creates a conduit directly to the gas tank. And I always pull in the wrong way and I find I've got my gas cap on the wrong side of the car. Well, if you notice, though, if you, if you look at the, on your uh, instrument cluster, your combination meter, where your fuel gauge is, every car now has a little indicator, a little 
usually a triangle acting as an arrow that points to tell you what side of the car your filler cap is on. So if yeah. you rent cars often, if you, you travel and you're in unfamiliar vehicles, you just glance at that gas gauge and it'll usually show you what side the filler cap is on. I never noticed that. Yep. Wow. Interesting. Thank you, th thank you John. You just asked a question that made me learn something. I, wow. You know, if I'm not concentrating, I'm dyslexic a little bit too, right and left kind of a thing. And there's nothing more aggravating when you're in a hurry to pull in a gas station. You jump out of the car and you find out that you're in the wrong point in the wrong way. Well, as long right. as we're on it the subject. makes sense. He's right. Yeah. As long as we're on the subject of fuel, I stopped for gas yesterday at a uh, uh, racetrack. And did you know now that we've got E20 fuel available in the pumps, which is a third handle now? So now when you pull up to the gas pumps, you may see the regular gasoline, Rec 90 fuel, which is the uh, no ethanol fuel, uh, diesel, E85, and E20. So you have to be very careful to make sure you get the proper fuel for your car. Goodness. John, what else did you have to ask us this morning? Well, make it more confusing, I noticed in a, a Wawa station the other day, just on the regular uh, pump, there's one on diesel, one number on 87, one number on 89, one number on 91, <laughs> one on 93. That's four grades right there. And then if you want the 90, it's on the end dial which makes it convenient for people with boats and trailers. So if you t total it up, that's one, two, three, four, five, plus the diesel. So that gets enough to confuse people because there was the guy there from New Jersey with a rented car, and he was asking somebody on the rental. It was a Nissan, mm -hmm. and the guy told him, he said, don't worry, if you use a regular 87, we'll be fine. But the reason he's used to it in New Jersey is because New Jersey, you can't, it's illegal to fill the car up yourself, it's, uh, they have to serve <laughs> New Jersey and Oregon. Is that right? Well, yes. <laughs> That's crazy. By the way, uh, we had a question in the past, I think a couple of years ago already, two years ago, New Jersey was one of the first ones with compulsory state inspections. Mm -hmm. It's eliminated. Oh. They don't need it. Wow. So New Jersey's an interesting state. We don't have it really. They are. It shows you if they eliminated it all the years that it was in effect, yeah. and it doesn't pay. So um, answer to the people that keep on asking, why don't we have it in Florida? Well, John, it's so nice to have you back. I, I was worried about you. I was getting ready to uh, drive up and see if you're okay. I'm glad you're back. I'll be and honest with you, I gave up. Uh, I not only had trouble getting on the phone, oh, no. oh, I have yeah. another radio now, and I'm listening to, because I'm in Palm City West, yeah. going toward Okeechobee, so I got you on 960 AM. Great, great. And it's well, as clear as a bell. Well, thank you. Guys you guys have a good day. Same to you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan. Thank you for being there. Thank you. Got Jonathan on my mind. Yeah. John, thanks so much for giving us a call, and our apologies uh, for the uh, inconvenience of uh, you not being able to get through, but we're glad you're with us today. We're going to go to John in West Palm Beach. Good morning, John. John, you there? John from West Palm Beach. All right, we'll move on. Yeah, I'm sorry, John from West Palm Beach. Uh, we don't want to lose you like we lost John from Palm City, but we just have uh, phone problems, and uh, and we try hard, and uh, please don't give up. I think the station just updated well, their phones. Oh, I hear something. Oh, I hear somebody. Okay, John, you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Oh, great. Oh, good morning, John. Okay. Good morning. 
uh, want to add uh, a possibility as to why they moved the uh, the cellar to the side uh, for safety reasons. That the gas stations get smaller. You know, they're no longer service stations. They got smaller. Uh, uh, to keep people from getting hit by other people, they had to pull up to the the smaller islands, the tank, the gas tank islands. So putting it on the side reduced the risk of someone getting hurt. You know, when someone pulls up and uh, you know not getting your legs caught between two cars. I think, because the distance got smaller. I'm not sure. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, that is a yeah. certain possibility. Is it, it gives them the ability, uh, like John's saying, that people not standing directly behind the car to fill it up, but being to the side, it's a lot safer that Good way. Point, Someone yeah. that comes in behind accidentally bumps the car ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, and cars have gotten a little bit bigger again. We're, we're going back to bigger cars now. And, you know, it's harder to fit them in those lineups. Well, that's a good question and uh, interesting point. I hadn't thought of, John. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I don't think it really matters, you know, like as far as money or economy or saving money, where the gas filler is. You know, it just, it, yeah. you know, I don't think it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem like it matter where it is. Well, a few bucks a car times a million cars yeah. is big yeah. bucks, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Have a great day. John, call again. Thanks, Thank you very much. That was very insightful. Right. We appreciate that. A lot of people uh, learned something, including me. Oh, for sure. Thank you, John. Hope to uh, hear from you again. Give us a call toll-free this morning at 877-960-9960. And don't forget, you can text us at 772-497-6530. And remember, ladies, $50 for the first two new lady callers. I know you're out there. Remember this morning what I said, there's 1.4 million more of you on the road. So somebody has time to give us a call more, here. More women than men on the road. Yep. 1.4 million. Yes. I would have never guessed it. Yep. Stu, how about some anonymous feedback? I think that we're going to have to interrupt Stu and go to Tina. I hadn't even started yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, well, Tina. Good morning, Tina. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Great. Great. We have the giggles this morning. Well, Sir Dyson, he has tried to get himself into the electric car uh, business, and unfortunately he has decided not to because there's just way too much competition. And he's known for over-engineering products. I mean, his his products are good, but you got to admit they're very much over-engineered. And part of the problem, funny enough, is that... uh, he figured out that a regular petrol or gas-powered car has over 33,000 parts, and electric cars have less than 11,000. So that kind of started the problem. But the Chinese are really jumping on this electric car bandwagon. He also figured out, Sir Dyson figured out, that the electric car market is only 3.5% of the total automotive market and he just didn't think it was competitive or he thought it was too competitive so he's pulled out yeah it's uh, you're playing the time game with electric cars and you have to have you have to be huge you have to have staying power a large amount of capital and you can't be looking at the next uh, five years or ten years you got to be looking at the next 50 years so the big uh, the big players uh, like uh, Volkswagen 
Toyota, Volkswagen's the largest manufacturer, Toyota's the second largest manufacturer, and then after that, you're going to see some non-automotive people that are going to do it, which is essentially uh, Tesla, you think of them as a car manufacturing company, but they're really a battery manufacturing company, Um, and a lot of the software companies like Google, Waymo is their car division, so the electric car will happen, but probably not by those that you think of conventionally as auto manufacturers. It'll be only maybe the one or two top auto manufacturers. They will morph into a software company, and that's what's going to Manufacturers are just people that put things together and uh, roll them down the highway. Uh, software companies design the heart of an electric car, and that's what uh, is going to prevail. But you got to have a lot of money and a lot of time to spend it. Well, I still wonder what's going to happen with Tesla because left and right, they're continually having problems. And I think they're using the word over-engineered again. I think like BMW and some of these other companies, their cars are so over-engineered that if there's a problem, it's pretty much almost systemic failure. There have been people that have had their Tesla. I think it's a Model 3 They've had those, and there's been so many people saying, you know, I get this error message on my screen that says that my my car won't charge. So they have to take it down to the dealership, get that all straightened out. Sometimes the car's gone for a week before it's fixed. So there's definitely, I mean, the the cars are beautiful. They're they're a work of art when you see them drive down the road, but Mm -hmm. they're just not a reliable piece of machinery. And Consumer Reports and Tesla are not friends. No, uh, today's cars are very, very complicated, as you said earlier, a huge number of components, and uh, it's impossible, really, for a manufacturer to build a perfect car. Every, I don't care how good the manufacturer is, they always have problems with cars, and it's a huge challenge uh, to build something, uh, millions of the same thing, and have them all work right. Uh, The electric car, when the day comes, and you can argue about... uh, it's definitely going to come. It's going to be five years, 10 years, or 20 years. But when it finally does come, it'll be a simpler um, production item. It'll be a, 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 a transportation. Um, it won't be a car anymore. It'll take you from point A to point B in a very effortless, easy, inexpensive, clean manner. And you don't want to be playing the game unless you can be around for a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, and I think the other problem is, too, that not so much my generation, but the generation before me, which is my parents, they're in their 70s. I think that these auto manufacturers in general are trying to shoehorn the older generation, I said it respectfully, the older generation into these very technologically advanced vehicles, and it's a source of frustration for people that are members of the greatest generation or before. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's generational change is is an interesting thing to watch, and I look at my grandchildren today; they won't have any problem at all uh, with uh, you know taking their smartphone, summoning a, a moving vehicle, all electric, automated, and say, uh, you know, take me to the soccer field, take me to the drugstore, take me to the wherever. It's easy for them. I can't quite capture that in my mind and a lot of people in my generation can't and we won't have to because you know we're, we're not going to be around then but that's what happens generational change we're looking at a watershed moment in the history of the world in terms of transportation and the internal combustion engine is bye-bye but not now it'll be a few years but it'll be bye-bye 
Hey, like, yeah, like, and like, that'll be a, and that'll be kind of a sad day for those of us that enjoy sure. the raw feeling of driving a car and having the experience be with your hands and your feet rather than just a push button. Yeah, Rick has a point. Well, Tina, just remember one thing. They said that about 140, 150 years ago, and we still have people riding horses. They just now they do it for but pleasure not, and fun. But not a 995. No, no. <laughs> but it's you, you can still go and ride horses in, in a safe place and safe manner. And cars will still be around, and there will still be places where you can go and drive cars. Mm-hmm. I'm sure... Places like out in the middle of Montana, they, uh, you know, it's going to be difficult to have electric cars, places like that, till they figure out how to get solar charging. So you're going to need some other ways to handle this. So sure. they'll and, still be around. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Tina, you know, I really think that uh, with the electric vehicle uh, revolution, it's going to bring its own problems. You know, it'll certainly be dealt with. But on the plus side, uh, maintenance costs, you know, it'll be, you know, much cheaper oil changes uh there won't be any i believe necessary and uh, that's a good thing so like earl and rick talked about the change will come and uh, uh my grandson that'll be 40 years old uh, i can see him right now driving an electric car and adapting to it very very well uh, but that that's our future that's uh, from the uh, young ages to the uh, millennials yeah, definitely. And I have a feeling that by the time I'm ready for another car, my next car probably might be electric. That'd I be plan cool. on keeping That'd this cool. vehicle for at least 10 years, so yeah. I'm sure that by the time I'm ready for a new one, it's going to be plug-and-play pretty much. Oh, I want one I, really bad. Exactly. Yeah. Do you? Earl won't let me get one. He said I have to drive a Toyota. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, thanks, Dan. Well, you Toyota are. electric car is really looking neat. I'm like, They're coming down the pike, yeah. I drive hybrids. I'm halfway there. <laughs> Tina, thanks so much for your call. We really appreciate you calling every Saturday morning and really jumping on that platform and telling the ladies, give us a call. Yes, because I can't do this by myself. Come on, ladies, get your $50. Line up. That's right. Give Tina a hand. Thank you, Tina. Okay, let's get Thank back to you. our uh, anonymous feedbacks. Uh, we got a bunch of them mounting up now, aren't we? We do, and I actually lost my place. Here we go. Good, we have an out-of-state anonymous commenter. Hello from Alabama. I am very nervous that I made the biggest mistake of my life buying a brand new Corolla hatchback. I did some research before my purchase, and most of the car magazines recommended the hatchback over the sedan Corolla. I bought the new Corolla hatchback about six months ago, and I'm having transmission problems. I took it to Toyota, and they did a software update. My neighbor, who is a mechanic for a private garage, told me to get rid of the car because the software update is just a way for Toyota to limit the torque output on the transmission to make it last long enough to get out of warranty before to, before it critically fails. <laughs> um, I took it to the dealership to look into trading it in and owe thousands more than it's worth. What can I do with a Toyota with a transmission Toyota knows is going to fail and will not replace with reli- reliable transmission? Um, I think this is going to fall on, uh, under Rick. Um, this is certainly a conspiratorial idea, but we could probably shed some light on it. But Rick, what do you know about that particular software update? Well, unfortunately, I have been instructed that I am not to reply to those. No, I'm just kidding, folks. I'm kidding. <laughs> Please I, call Toyota Customer Experience at one eight hundred three one. I don't tow any sort of lines when it comes to that. When I love Toyota, but 
when they make a mistake, I'm going to be one of the first ones to throw the eggs yeah. at them and say, hey, We're not you got to fix this. Um, well, did they fix it? That's the question. The transmission, the update that she's speaking of, or the person is speaking of, is a software update for the CVT, or Continuously Variable Transmission. Mm-hmm. And it seems to have been quite effective. Uh, basically, it doesn't seem to limit torque in any manner. Uh, what they told us is it's actually to help control when the gears are actually changing. And it, uh, it's unfortunately, I can't really describe how they operate very well on the air. It's something where you would almost need a visual impact to describe. But a, a continuously variable transmission doesn't have gears that shift. So it actually controls it by way of two large pulleys that can actually change size, one getting smaller, one getting larger, as the car is needed to accelerate. How many uh, have you uh, personally worked on? For that transmission update, probably three or four hundred or more. Three or four hundred. Just me personally. Have we had anybody come back and say it's still not fixed, it's not right? We have seen, I'm going to say in our shop, Total throughout the shop for that software update, we've probably done two to three thousand of these cars mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, and I think we've had maybe three total that have come back that needed further work and needed the transmission replaced. And in that situation, well, the anonymous feedback person, we simply replaced uh, you it. You heard the, the answer there. His concern was he's on the verge now of. Uh, trading the car back in and taking a huge economic hit because he has negative equity and a friend of his has scared him into believing this is a conspiracy by Toyota. Yep. So the answer is no, uh, this is not a conspiracy by Toyota. Uh, Rick estimates we've probably done 3,000 of these. It's a quick fix, right? How long does it take to do the flash? It takes about 25 to 30 minutes yep. and then there's a test drive that we do afterwards. So total yep. figure maybe an hour in so the shop. So you bring your car in, you're in and out in an hour and you don't have a problem again. We've done 3,000 of them. We've had half a dozen come back for a tweak or a problem, but that's fixing the car. And uh, most of your, a lot of your repairs, you should be happy about software repairs because instead of having to take the car apart and put it back together again, you plug in and the magic goes into the computer and it's fixed. And that's the way cars are fixed today. So hang on to that Corolla. Don't buy another car. Don't take a negative equity loss on that. Yeah. And your car's going to run just fine. Yeah. And we've also, you know, we've offered. You know, offered praise for uh, you know independent mechanics, and we've you know, but just bear in mind there there's good and bad mechanics, just like there are good and bad car dealers, and some of them have uh, selfish motivations to get your business and might not conduct themselves ethically. Not saying this is the case with your uh, mechanic, but just be aware um, somebody has a uh, has a horse uh, what are they, horse in the race and yeah. axe yeah. to grind, an axe uh, to grind. Yeah. exactly. There's a lot of good and bad. There's good and bad. That's right. When and you buy donuts, right, and guys? bear in mind also, <laughs> right. folks, that. Toyota has a track record that even when the car is out of warranty, if it's a situation that they know there is an issue, they'll stand by it with Goodwill warranty. So even if you're 10,000, 20,000 miles past that end of the warranty all, or time-wise, all the manufacturers, fix it. Most of the manufacturers yeah. will do the same thing. Right. If you have a problem and it's under warranty and you bring it in and it's fixed, and then it isn't fixed, you find out, but it's out of warranty, most of your manufacturers, because you came in during the warranty period, will take care of it for you. More anonymous feedback, stuff. We, we sure do. Um, 
Earl, if dealers can use these deceitful tactics, both legally and illegally, could we not take some approach to educate the dealer by being passive-aggressive, walking out, or being honest and calling them out on their BS? Maybe when confronting them on a deceitful, deceitful or unfair point, we can raise our voices in the dealership to the point that other customers can hear us. Maybe we could even interject other sales people and customer interactions to provide the details of the deceitful acts. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Maybe the customer walks out. Maybe we need to go on the offensive. What are your thoughts? Thank you all. I think that it's, for your own good, I think it's probably a tactic that uh, you'd rather not do. First of all, a lot of people don't have the aggressive ability to do head-to-head with a car salesman. Another reason I don't like that idea is that uh, the car salesman oftentimes is an innocent uh, victim of the whole yeah. system. He's a, he's a cog in the machine. Uh, he's a cog. And a lot of these young salespeople, uh, they don't last very long. They'll turn over huge in car dealerships with car salesmen, and they've been, been instructed what to do. Sometimes they don't even know that they're doing wrong. Car dealers will tell a salesman that the dealer fee is okay, and the hidden fees are part of the business. And we do it all the time and all the car dealers do it and that's just the way cars are sold. So there's a brainwashing thing going on. So to go head to head with the car salesman, if you could go head to head with the owner of the dealership, that might be a different story. If you could arrange a meeting with a dealer and sit down and talk civilized, um, it might be an interesting conversation. Yeah, and, and just um, just in my experience, I always think de-escalating a situation is always most helpful, yeah. especially for any kind of negotiation. negotiation. Um, you know, if you become hostile or aggressive, they're likely to raise their defenses, and you're going to defeat um, the purpose that you're trying to what you're trying to accomplish. So keep it friendly and professional to the extent that you can, and don't blame the, the salesman all the time. Yeah. Okay, um, Earl, it's a good question for you, Earl. If you, if I was to visit your dealership and was quoted twenty four thousand seven fifty out the door for a car, would you sell it for twenty four thousand five hundred? If twenty four thousand five hundred is all I brought. Uh, no, um, and this is what one price is all about. A lot of car dealers profess to put their lowest price on the car, but they really don't. It's something to lure you in and say, you know, uh, bottom line pricing. Uh, good example, Al Packer Ford's motto is bottom line pricing. But the bottom line pricing isn't the bottom line. Uh, you lose the trust of the consumer when you make a claim that's not true. So even though economically... I might be able to rationalize and make a profit by lowering a price on a car that I put my lowest price on, but then I'd be a liar because I didn't put my lower, lowest price on the car. So I tell my customers, uh, when they sometimes it won't be $250, they'll say, almost for argument purposes, so you want $24,750 for this car. I'll offer you $24,740. Will you give me $10 off? I say, I won't give you 10 cents off because... I'll loan you, know, you $10, though. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> You'll pay me back. Yeah, right. But by, by coming off the guaranteed one lowest price, then you're, you're showing your dishonesty. If you're dishonest by $1, you'll be dishonest for $1,000. And that's what transparency is all about. That's right. Good morning, Earl and team. This is another anonymous feedback. Good morning, morning, Earl and team. I have a short story I'd like to pass along that relates to your article, How and Why Car Dealers Sell You Things You Don't Need or Want or Even Know About. 
When I visited my local Kia dealership to check out their lineup, especially that radical stinger, I noticed all the cars I looked at had phony Moroni labels attached that had the same or at least similar looks as the actual Moroni, Moroni label. I browsed some more and was eventually approached by a young salesperson. We exchanged pleasantries. To get to the point, I finally asked him what the price of the car was. He looked at the window and read back the dollar figure from the phony label. I did not lean in to examine the, la the label. Um, he looked back at me and told him, and I told him, are you sure this is the official MSRP? This tiny paper is a phony Monroney, and if you look closely at it, it's an unofficial sticker to rip off customers. What I was pointing at on the phony label were the words, this label is not an official factory or government sticker. At least they, at least they had that. Uh, the salesperson suggested that he ask the manager to come and talk to me. I quickly said that this won't be necessary and suggested to him that he go and talk to the manager about the ripoff stickers and why a potential new Kia customer is walking off the lot. The dealership is, is Kia Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. If you need a remote mystery shopper, please feel free to write me back. I've included my email in the incognito anonymous feedback submission form. Great job, Ooh, by the way. Yeah. Great job. That's yeah, a typical uh, salesman is a pawn in the game. Yeah. And uh, he's just following orders. And unfortunately, uh, uh, he's just trying to make a few bucks. Yeah. He's not a bad person, probably. Uh, the dealer is. Yeah. And to use something that distorts the manufacturer's suggested retail price is just plain wrong. Uh, Moroni Act in 1958 was supposed to, the intent of the law and the written way of the law is to give you, the consumer, a way to honestly compare this Kia dealer with that Kia dealer with that Kia dealer. If you have an MSRP from D Kia dealer A of 25000 and you go to a Kia dealer B and C and look at this car with a $25,000 MSRP, you can say, I will buy the car from the Kia dealer that gives me the greatest discount from MSRP. But if Kia dealer A tricks you into thinking you're looking at the MSRP and he's really adding $2,000 or up to $10,000 we have seen in terms of additional profit and calling it MSRP, the phony Monroni, then you're not comparing apples and apples. And so he can take advantage of you and make a huge profit. So, yeah, it's a bad thing to do. Most car dealers do it. Why? there isn't some action taken by the federal government because the Monroni label is a federal law. Yeah. And the phony Monronis are a dis deliberate, premeditated distortion of a federal law. Why do they allow it? I don't know. Yeah. The law should be updated. And considering our current con United States Congress, they can't seem to agree on anything. Here's something I think they can find common ground on. Make it illegal to adjust, modify, or disguise the Monroni label. Yeah. I mean, no that's pretty area. simple. Who, who, who would disagree with that? Yeah. No gray area exactly. at all. And uh, if you ask someone if they know of Senator Maroney, they, would, they wouldn't yeah. even know what you were talking about. Exactly. That's a bipartisan bill, if I ever heard of it. Exactly. All right, this is not a political show. So, here's another anonymous feedback. I heard you speak about Carfax. I recently sold my Honda Fit to one of those we, um, one of those we buy it, one of those we buy your car places. Yeah. I went to three places, and to my surprise, nothing came back as far as accidents. I had three on his Honda Fit. Um, I backed into another car when sitting in a parking lot. I, rear I was rear-ended by Mercedes at a stoplight, and I was also broadsided by a Cadillac. All were repaired, but none of them showed up on Carfax. Um, before finalizing the sale, I did let them know that um, all of these events had occurred, and it was shrugged off. I also have a question for Mr. Stewart. I heard you say that you can test drive a car for up to a week before you buy it to see if you like it or if it's a fit for the buyer. 
Um, your salespeople don't mention this um, or allude to it in any way when selling either, selling either a new or used car. Why would that be? Well, let me back up on the car facts and say that uh, if the car was not repaired by insurance, then there would be no data in Carfax and their computer to know the accident. So if these fell under the deductible or you agreed for whatever reason not to report to your insurance company in the three instances, I can see why it would not be on Carfax. Now, Carfax is or, not Or part if they screw up, the insurance, if the insurance didn't report it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Carfax on their website does have um, a way, avenue for you to report errors and uh, you could do that. We, uh, in our experience, the damage to cars is pretty accurate on Carfax, yeah. but sometimes they mess up. Uh, as far as taking a car out for a week on a demonstration ride, if I said that, I was probably, I should have qualified it. Um, a lot of car dealers would not let you do it, especially on a new car. Frankly, I would be hesitant to tell you to take a new car out for a week. Uh, I think if... Uh, we had some agreement on mileage, and I was comfortable with uh, that you were a legitimate buyer. I would say fine. Uh, used car, I wouldn't have much of a problem with. But a week is a bit much. I think that uh, what I meant to say, and I hope I didn't actually say that, but if I, yeah, what I what I would say is that you should take the car for several hours, and overnight, overnight, yeah. overnight would be the best solution. You should drive that car in the conditions that you normally drive your car, uh, highway conditions, residential conditions, park it in your garage, uh, anything that you do normally, go into Publix and come back out, go into Costco. You know, just drive it in your normal routine, and if you can do that in a few hours, that's all you need to do. But a week, um, I would not want you to take one of my cars for a week new use would be something i would consider yeah this is a really interesting question uh, excuse me yeah. for a minute Stu. and you know to uh, earl's point uh what's really important and you're going to know this in a couple of hours is whether that front seat is comfortable there's a lot of people that really overlook that and once you purchase the car and you're in that front seat for well a long time well it can be a real problem if you have back problems yeah or, or getting in and out i mean you can kill your, you, know, you can contort yourself yeah. in some of these cars i watched you get try to get into that supra and oh. i felt very sorry for you Rick yes. has a point. Uh, one thing you might consider is find a car rental place that has that year and model of car yeah and rent it for a couple of days. Yeah, but you have to pay for that. Yeah. Well, you got to pay for it, but yeah. it, say figure, you know, a hundred bucks to drive that car for two or three days yeah. to know for sure, yeah. uh, save you a lot in the long run, I think. Okay. Very true. We got another one? Yes, we do. This is really interesting. Most roads, especially highways, are crowned, and I hear that is on, that's on purpose to divert water off the road. Is that true? Additionally, do you think it was intentional to also allow cars to drift off the road to the side in case the driver drifted off asleep? Allowing the car to drift to the road to the right would avoid head-on collisions. I guess with the advent of lane, lane keep assist technology, that's not really a problem in the future. And I mean, I understood the roads were crowned for the water runoff, but that's a, I mean, that's a valid uh, question. What do you think? Uh, road crown was only meant for water runoff and as far as I know, it was never intended to make cars go off the road if the driver fell asleep. No, you no. go off the road in the canal, you go off the road into the, the oncoming traffic, you don't right. want to go off the road. All right, stay on the road. Yeah. And, 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 and don't, go to, don't drive the car when you're really, really sleepy. So. No. Yeah. Okay, this is from Anne-Marie. This is a text. Anne-Marie, she's a longtime texter and listener. She says, good morning. Uh, Jalopnik.com reports that seven 
2020 Toyota Supras have potentially faulty seatbelt guide loop mounts. Two surprises came with the story. One, the vehicles will be inspected, and if a defective seatbelt guide loop is found, the vehicle will be replaced. Two, BMW, not Toyota, was the company that filed the recall documents with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. BMW said that it might not have been welded to specifications. Specifically, BMW is aware of potentially missing welding spots on the vehicle's safety belt guide loop mount, so the remedy is to replace the entire vehicle. Ouch, that has to hurt the company's bottom line, um, but they're glad it's only seven vehicles. Uh, and then another question, why did, when did BMW start building Toyota Supras? Thanks. Well, I can tell you. Yeah. Well, I, uh, the Supra, it was a joint partnership with BMW. Um, it's based on the BMW Z4. Um, um, I don't know the you know the internal reasons why. I would imagine it was probably a lot cheaper than developing their own new inline six um, engine, which they had in the old Supras. So BMW, I think, was ahead of the game. And uh, I am going to do a little to- Toyota uh, commercial here. The Supra beat the BMW Z4 in a drag race. So, but Rick's Rick's got um, more technical things for you. I. Everything they said there is absolutely correct from what we have been told, you know, here in the the fighting trenches. And yes, they are going to simply replace the cars, the few cars. There's only literally five or six of them that got out to the public. They're simply going to replace them. Now, I I don't know what they're going to do about the vehicle identification number. I think they'll scrap the cars. Maybe. Well, they, they'll either Parts. do that or they'll take those cars and donate them to trade schools for training purposes, which you know would be a, a smarter thing to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But such yeah, people I mean, as, not drive them, but yeah. use them to work on. Right. Yeah. Such people as uh, what was the guy's name that he he bought zero 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 one uh, John Stalupi. number John Stalupi. Yeah. Now for two million dollars. <laughs> right. But bearing in mind now those those few cars are going to become the vis- missing VIN numbers. And for car collectors, that could be an important thing by having suddenly your VIN number yeah. just went from a It'll low like number to a higher like that stamp upside-down airplane. You know, that really, like the $10 billion stamp. You right, know, in the, the future. Jenny. Yeah. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know our lines are open. And as you can hear, uh, we've covered a lot of topics. But most importantly, we would love to talk to you. Give us a call toll-free at 877 877- 960-9960, and remember, you can be part of the vote on our mystery shopping report. That is a fantastic report. You want to stay with us for that. And you can also go to www.youranonymousfeedback.com. Tell us what you think. Again, and te- and eight, Texas, Texas, too. Yeah, yeah, 772-497-6530. Okay, which one are you, uh, Rick or Stu? Are going to take over? My throat's getting kind of scratchy. Well, I got a couple quick ones here. Uh, first one is from Sung Sam. He's asking about the New Jersey car inspections that we mentioned earlier. Uh, he says he's still seeing cars lined up for inspection. So I went ahead and did a quick Google search, and the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Department is still stating that uh, their program is going to be changing. Uh, so far, they haven't done implemented any changes yet, oh. but right now they do still have vehicle inspections on all passenger-plated vehicles and commercial vehicles. Is it mandatory? It is mandatory, and those inspections can be done either at a state-operated inspection station or at a private inspection facility that has been certified to perform their state inspections. With great information. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, our lines are open, 
877-960-9960 and you can text us at 772-497-6530 and I see that uh, Ed is calling us from Delray. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, everybody. Uh, let me just uh, start out by saying I very much enjoy your show and appreciate your your show. Uh, my question is, I'm thinking about uh, one of those new Gladiator Jeep trucks, but when I look on YouTube, all you hear is negative, negative, negative about Jeep products and how terrible they are. Uh, the maintenance is expensive. The parts are expensive. But when I drive around, all I see are Jeeps, yeah, new ones. <laughs> so I'm kind of uh, confused. If uh, the product is so bad and the maintenance and parts are so high, how come there's a million new Jeeps running around? Does anybody know the answer to that? It's, uh, cool. The answer is sex. And it's, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Jeep is a sexy vehicle. Uh, all of us in the room here agree with the Consumer Reports analysis that it's not a quality vehicle, high cost of insurance, maintenance, and repairs. Uh, but it is just one of the best-looking cars. You see, every time I see a Jeep, I want to I wanna own one. And it, uh, whoever came up with the whole design concept, it's the only thing saving Chrysler Fiat from bankruptcy is the Jeep. They, they make their money on the Jeep. They sell a lot of Jeeps. Uh, and it is just something that human beings will deal on emotion more than logic. And the Jeep is a perfect example. People will talk to me and they'll say, I know a Honda is a better vehicle. I know uh, whatever is a better vehicle, but I'm, I want to buy a Jeep because I really, really like the Jeep. And Ed, the, the one good thing about Jeep that is tangible and logical, because it's so popular, it has a high resale value. So the one negative that you think for a car that had terrible uh, cost of repair and maintenance would be excessive depreciation. Jeeps do not depreciate excessively because there's always somebody else that wants to buy that used Jeep. So you can buy a Jeep, be prepared to spend a lot of money on insurance and, and maintenance and repairs, but when you trade it in, you'll get all the money, a high valuation to trade it in on whatever you want to buy, another Jeep or a Honda or whatever. Very good. Thank you. I appreciate it, Earl. Okay. Enjoy the Jeep, Ed. I know you're going to buy one. Don't be ashamed. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Enjoy Thank that you. Jeep. Do it. If it feels good, Thanks. do it. <laughs> Have a great weekend, Ed. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Joe, who's calling us from Port St. Lucie. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Hey, great. Joe. Um, first time caller. I didn't know if I was going to get through, but you said all the lines were open, so I, I dialed the phone. Thank you, Joe. Oh, thank I you. Have a, okay, I have a 2011, in fact, it's one of your cars, Earl, uh -huh. uh, RAV4. Uh -huh. Okay, 161 and so many miles, uh, how many thousand miles, 161,000. Uh, all of a sudden, my average gas consumption, 26.7 miles per gallon, went down to 23 Point seven miles per gallon. I'm lost three I, I lost three miles per gallon somewhere hmm. within the past two months, hmm. and I just like every two or three days I'm at the gas station filling up again. Very interesting. I have I have wait, I have no engine light on or anything like that. It just starts up, runs fine, drives fine, shifts fine, and everything. Buying the I same brand gas over and over. What am I? Excuse me. Did you? Are you still buying the same brand of gasoline? Yes. Uh -huh. uh, my my eighty seven octane from Sam's Club. Interesting, uh, Rick. Uh, is, I, you, can you answer I, that? I that's a tough one. 
I just happened to lose three miles a gallon, and I don't know where the heck it went. <laughs> no way, I'm thinking, you know, should I go someplace and have it put on a diagnostic? Maybe something that's not showing up with an engine light and not coming on? Uh, could you give me any kind of ideas of what? I can't, but I Rick Kearney might. Okay, Mr. Rick. Well, uh, first question, are you tracking this only by the numbers showing up on the combination meter, or are you checking this on paper as well? No, just on the, uh, just on the little button on the, on the driver's thing. Okay. The, you know, the, uh, the first thing I would recommend right off the bat is double-check it on paper first. In other words, fill up your gas tank, write down your miles, uh, how many miles uh, you have on the car right then on your odometer, and yeah. how track how many gallons you use on that tank of fuel, do a full tank run, and you know just do the math to find out how many miles per gallon you get from that tank, but do it on paper, and then do that for about two or three tankfuls to see what your actual fuel economy really is. Because unfortunately, the, the computer in your car is trying to make a good guesstimate based on how much fuel it's putting in the engine, how many miles you're driving. But it's, it's a, a big complicated thing that it goes through. So trying to really trust that is a little difficult. I would do it on paper just to make sure what you're getting and the other thing I'd recommend is check your tire pressures. Make sure your pressures haven't dropped down a little bit because over the course of one to two months, you can lose five to six pounds of air in your tires. Not enough to put the light on, but enough to hurt your fuel economy a little bit. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this now. I have, I think, I have my tire pressure light is on. It might be just one defective tire. Would that have something to do with it? If you've got a, yeah, if if, the tire is, you know, has sufficient air in it, would that have something to do with it? Good. Well, if if one tire is low on air, then yeah, that can definitely hurt your fuel economy because that increases that resistance, the rolling resistance of the tire, and anything that creates a drag is going to reduce your fuel economy. Uh, If you've started carrying extra stuff in the car, any extra load, extra weight, uh, and always, of course, in South Florida. The temperature, I mean, this has been one incredibly hot summer, and changes in the air, the amount of humidity and the temperature can change how your engine runs, and that will change your fuel economy a bit also. Okay, would it, anything, to, how about anything with an O2 sensor or anything like that? Would that just not show up on the, on the check engine light? Is there anything you can plug as a RAV4 in in the shop that would give you an indication that something's out of whack that might affect the fuel economy? Not really, because if something like that were happening, it would turn on that check engine light. I see. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, if I went to some place like AutoZone that gives me a free uh, a free code check, I got nothing to lose by just checking it out, right? No, nothing to lose at all by having them check that. But- yeah. All right, and and check out the tires and everything else, and like you say, do the gas mileage on paper rather yeah. than just going by what's on the yeah on the, on 
And then call, yeah. call back and let us know what happens. That's a common problem, people. I've heard this before, uh, where suddenly your fuel mileage varies. And there's the old joke about the guy that bought, bought the Volkswagen and his neighbor was coming up and siphoning gas out every week. And uh, <laughs> and he was complaining and complaining, took it to the shop. And then after a while, the guy went back and started adding gas every week. And he had a nervous <laughs> breakdown. So maybe you got a neighbor who's playing with you. Oh, that's awesome. You can't open the door. You can't open the gas door without opening the car door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call anyway. back at it. Thanks for being a first-time caller. Be a second-time hey, caller. You. Call us next week. Thanks. Thank you very much. All right. Have a nice day now. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Uh, look forward to hearing back from you. Uh, we're going to go to Alan, who is giving us a call from New Jersey, and I believe he's originally from Hawaii. Good morning. How are you, Alan? Good morning. Hello. Hello. Welcome. one for Earl. Okay. Earl. In Hawaii, how did one company come to have the monopoly on, uh, you know, Toyota? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they frequently charge 1500 to 2000 over MSRP, hmm. and there's a atrocity with, you know, service being the monopoly. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, of course, Toyota is an international company, and they have different arrangements with different countries. I'm not sure why Hawaii is uh, United States. Uh, I guess maybe because they're so close to Japan. Maybe that was one of the first places before. I'm not sure how this long this distributorship has been there, but it's like a dealer distributorship. Uh, another interesting thing, which you probably know, they actually have a, a Toyota-endorsed dealer fee. It's a, because it has the one guy owns all their family, I think it is, owns all the Toyota dealerships in Hawaii, and they have a dealer fee that's mandated by the distributor. Servco, I think. I wasn't even aware of that. I yeah. believe that, um, you know, Servco yeah. is not a uh, auto dealer, but a distributor. Yeah. And they were put in place right after World War II. Yeah. It's illegal, for example, in the state of Florida for a distributor to own car dealerships. And in most uh, states in the United States, a manufacturer distributor cannot own a car dealership. In Hawaii, the distributor owns all the car dealerships for Toyota, and they can get away with anything they want. I'm surprised somebody hasn't uh, challenged them on an antitrust level saying that you're, you're hurting competition. You're raising the price to the consumer because you can set the price for every Toyota dealership in Hawaii, thousands of them, I guess, or maybe not thousands. But no, there's only two dealerships. Oh, really? Uh, and they're both, you know, so I didn't know that. Yeah, they, it's still it's still price fixing, in my opinion. I would think there's a valid uh, class action suit or something that could be done. But I've known about that for a long time. It's always been a mystery to me, too. They got a bunch of Toyota dealerships in Australia, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Surfco. Oh, Surfco. Is that Surfco? Yeah. yeah, they got a ton. Um, okay, I was not aware of that. Yeah. You know, when uh, the uh, manu uh, you know, is offering, let's say, you know, $1,200 back throughout mm. the United States, they rarely offer it right. in the Hawaii zone. Yeah, they keep so it in their pocket. it's worse than it seems. Where are you going to go? <laughs> you know, in the United States. Yeah, uh, Honda has a couple of dealerships, so you, you couldn't, in fact, change brands, yeah. and the other brands are much more, you know, competitive. But this is a monopoly. 
And I, I am amazed. I've never read where the AG has ever acted against them. Hey, you know, Alan, uh, the distributorship in the southeast for Toyota is owned by Southeast Toyota, uh, a man named Jim Moran, uh, who was, uh, uh, died years ago. Um, he got that distributorship back in the late 50s, early 60s. And there's also another Gulf states, a Toyota around Texas, the four or five Louisiana, and those states called Gulf states, they're a distributorship so that Toyota, the manufacturer, sells to Southeast Toyota and to Gulf states, and then Gulf states and Southeast Toyota mark the car up again yeah. to the dealer, and then I'm a dealer for Southeast Toyota, and I buy my cars from Southeast Toyota, but I have to pay about $1,000 more for a car than if I was in New York or New Jersey. I was not aware of that. Yes. Um, that comes as a shock. Yeah, but okay, uh, thank you, Earl, for your insight on this one very much. Great, uh, great question, Alan. I, yeah, it puzzles me. I don't know how that happened, but it's a Surfco is a culprit, and I don't like the way they're marking the cars up. But that's I mean, the way it is. Doesn't sound like uh, a car company the either. Possible chance of the manufacturers being able to grab back their stores from these independent uh, businessmen. In the future, I wish they should. I wish they would. I wish they would. It's uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. There are contractual agreements. You know, Toyota always wasn't a big powerhouse. Uh, you know, they were they did well in Japan uh, most of the time, but when they started spreading around the world, uh, they were struggling. Yeah, nobody cared. And when Toyota first came to the United States, I don't know if you knew the name of it then. It was called the Toyopet. T-O-I-O-P-E-T. And well, it was, I did not. And it was, a, it was a piece of junk. It was like a toy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so they were, you know, beggars can't be choosers, and they were out trying to find ways to distribute and sell cars. And they made some bad deals. Uh, they made a bad deal with distributors, and they made a, made a bad deal with Servico. Uh, and the deal they signed uh, back when they were vulnerable was probably something uh, they wish they could get out of. They didn't have a sunset clause. You know, I think they, I think when they started to import to Japan, they made uh, farm implement tractors. Yeah. Well, actually, they started out making uh, uh, looms. Yep. Uh, the original Toyota was a, a loom manufacturer. Ichiro Toyota. Yeah, Ichiro, yeah. And it's still in the family. Uh, Akio Toyota is a grandson, and uh, he's still... I, ch I saw it. Yeah, yeah. It's Hero's house. <laughs> so in Hawaii, we owe this all to an aberration that occurred yeah. decades ago? Yeah. yeah, it was something Toyota was doing to get around international distribution and sales, and they made a bad deal, and now they can't get out of it. It results in very high price. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can uh, see how there's being isolated. Where are you going to go if you're in Hawaii? You got to go. <laughs> there's only place. You're on an island in the middle of the Pacific, so you have no choice. As a dealer, I, I, uh, there's one nice. guy who quit <laughs> and built himself up a shop that does uh, Lexus, uh, you know, Toyota, and he's going great guns. I'll bet. Yeah. Because basically, they built him a market. Yeah, smart guy. You know, he's an independent guy downtown Honolulu. But he's the only guy who who specializes and advertises yeah. in a Toyota Lexus repairs. Smart guy, making a lot of money too, I bet. Alan, thanks, a great okay, call. Thank I, you. Please call again. I, you're a real smart guy. I like to talk to smart guys. Uh, thank you, Will. Take bye -bye. care. Bye -bye. Thank you, Alan.
Give us a call toll-free at 877-960-9960. Or remember, you can text us at 772-497-6530. I do have one text from Rachel, and uh, she says that she hears Nancy talk about maintaining her tires from time to time and has a question about rotation. Is it important to rotate your tires? Well, I'll have Rick answer this question, but I'll give you my information. And rotating your tires, it really, well, it spreads the wear and tear, uh, and it really ensures of the, uh, the tread depth. And it's surprising how much the maintenance on your tires will affect your ride, uh, noise level, so many different things. So my answer to you, yes, it's important. How often? I don't have that answer, but Rick does. Well, you've got it all answered except for just 5,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's pretty much most manufacturers recommend rotate your tires about every 5,000 miles. She, she added to this kind of, this text a PS 3,000 to 5,000. And yep. that's where I really couldn't answer her question. If, if you want to do it a little more often, do it every 3,000. It certainly can't hurt. Okay, there you go, Rachel. Good luck with your tires. Okay. What, where are we going? YouTube? I, we got, I, got, I got texts. I got, yep. I got all sorts of things. Well, let, let me say something. Uh, I was uh, interviewed by uh, Anna Werner of CBS News, and I w- couldn't talk about it because uh, the story wasn't going to break until this week. But I'm very excited about this because... Uh, Anna Werner is an investigative reporter. She is a consumer investigative national correspondent for CBS This Morning. And that's a show goes on, I think, from 9, from, what is it, 9 to 11 or 7 to 9? I think you're right, yep. Yeah, and we think next week on Tuesday uh, this interview is going to break. But she actually interviewed me uh, remotely in the dealership about the Takata airbag. And I've been so frustrated, and I've tried so hard to get somebody's attention, our legislators, our um, you know, the attorney general, the governor, anybody, to do something about selling cars with dangerous recalls, Takata airbags specifically, making it, it should be illegal to do it. I can't understand. I get worked myself into a frenzy talking about it. And I felt that the media had kind of abandoned this. Well, the media did not abandon this. So we have finally Anna Werner of CBS News, and she's an investigative reporter, and she's doing a report on the Takata airbag debacle. And that's what it is. It's a terrible situation. It's being, it's being condoned by manufacturers and car dealers and car dealer associations and I believe it has to do with the pressure on the legislators by the lobbyists to uh, keep this ball rolling this dangerous ball of selling cars with dangerous uh, to cut airbag recall so I'll keep you posted I'll let you know uh, and by Facebook and any other way, I'll let you know how and when this article is going to come out. It'll be a TV report next week, we think, Tuesday morning on CBS News. Great information. Boy, uh, you've been uh, you've been at it for a while. Yeah. 2016? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, give us a call. Tell us what you think. 
And uh, that number is 877-960-9960. And we have that mystery shopping report coming up. So you remember, you could vote on that at uh, 772-497-6530. And we're going to go to Bobby, who's been holding from West Palm Beach. Good morning, Bobby. Hi, good morning, everybody. Thanks for taking my call. Um, a couple of things. One, I was going to congratulate you, Earl. I've heard, I think I've heard more about Takata Airbag in the last three or four months than I have previously. Um, and I think even some of the, um, some of the personal injury lawyers are starting to run commercials about Takata Airbag. Oh, I haven't um, seen that. Which, which is, which is sort of interesting. I'll try to, if I find one, I'll, I'll send it over to you. I think you are making progress. Yeah, I think you are making progress, and more. I've seen more stories and and more just general information on on TV and the newspaper. And you know, one of the things I think that may be behind this is the demise of newspaper advertising for car dealers because mm-hmm. they controlled what newspapers would print because yeah. of so, how much how much advertising they would buy. Exactly. But now, hardly any. Well, that's true. And I think that same is true to some extent of TV because a lot of dealers have gone digital heavily and Facebook and Google and that sort of thing. So uh, the less advertising they spend in a particular segment of the media, uh, the less likely they are to intimidate that section and maybe some of these people start speaking out. So I'm, I'm, I'm so encouraged. This thing you said about the uh, personal injury lawyers jumping on board, that is good news. I had not heard that. And uh, if you can give me a law firm uh, commercials name. I'd love to call those guys. Okay, I'll have to. I'll have to sort of check back, and I'll, yeah. I'll send it over to you. Um, my real question today has to do with um, combination of a. It's a Toyota problem. Uh, I don't know if you remember two or three years ago, the dashboards were melting on a number of Toyotas. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. in the in the high heat. Well, I have a 2012 Lexus that. So it has the same problem, but not on the dashboard. It's on the side panels on the doors, mm. and it's the, it's the exact same thing. In high heat, they sort of melt. Mm. And I'm wondering, is that am I am I too far gone from from how old this car is to get it fixed through Toyota slash Lexus, or how would you approach that? Because it's certainly the same problem. Bobby, where do you have your Lexus serviced? Uh, J.M. Lex. Okay, well, that's good. Um, one thing I would do is I would try to talk to their service manager, not the service um, advisors, the people. Sometimes they say they're service managers. The real guy that's in charge of the whole service department at J.M. Lexus. And if you're a regular customer of theirs, there's something called customer loyalty adjustments, similar to goodwill adjustments that can be made. If you if you bought your car there and you bring it back in there for service regularly, you might have a shot at a uh, assistance of some kind. Maybe not pay the whole thing, but pay a portion of the cost of the repair. Uh, but I, I would go there first. Uh, 2012, you're getting that seven years out of a, eight years out of the new vehicle. So you're really stretching the goodwill. But the customer loyalty, it's something that's little known. People that buy cars and service cars with a particular manufacturer, they are appreciated very much. And they can get things done for them that somebody that just bought the car used or didn't bring it to them for service would not get. 
Okay, I'll I'll try that. My other question about it is, do you do you think it's worthwhile to get it fixed, or do you think the solution of putting like a new door panel on an old car will sort of look worse than having the melting door panel? That's a very good point. Yeah, uh, it depends on how bad it looks, I would say, and how long you want to keep that car. But uh, if you're getting ready to trade it. Uh, I wouldn't uh, spend the money if you're getting ready to buy another vehicle. I think it would be. Uh, you know, well, first you want to find out if it's going to cost you anything. Then you have to make the decision: do you want to replace it? But uh, it's it's a long shot, uh, Bobby. But it's worth worth asking. Okay. All right. I'll give that a try. Uh, one other quick question, if I may. Um, uh, my daughter asked me about synthetic oil changes, and you know when you. It sort of says 3,000 miles for a conventional oil change, and we always go five, 6,000 miles, and it's no big deal. How much, how much lee, leeway do you have with the synthetic oil change? You know, they recommend it 10,000 miles, but is it okay to go to 11 or 12 if you have to, or is it better to just get it done at 10? No, 11 or 12 is fine. You know, it's, a, it's an art more than a science. Every car... Uh, you can have the same year make model, different driving conditions or different make models. All cars, oil deteriorates at different uh, levels. And the 10,000 miles is a rule of thumb. 5,000 miles is a rule of thumb. 6,000 miles or 4,000 miles uh, isn't going to make a lot of difference. And it's, it's not a bad idea. You know, Rick's looking at me. I hope I'm giving you the right information. But if you want to save a few bucks and you're keeping a car for a long time, instead of changing your, your oil every 10,000 miles, change it every 11,000 or 12. It's not going to kill. It's not going to kill the car. Uh, Rick doesn't like that. So um, you you, you, th you think the engine's going to blow up? Well, I just I become concerned because every eleven thousand becomes every twelve thousand becomes every thirteen thousand becomes and well, well yeah, but that's not what I said. I, I just yeah. I just would use caution. Um, one of the reasons that I like synthetic oil changes at every ten thousand miles is because it makes it very easy to remember when you need to change your oil. When you look down there and you see a nice even number coming up. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. It makes it easy to remember, hey, that's the time to change the oil versus every 3,000 or every 7,500. You're overthinking that, right? Helps me. The man's trying to save money for his daughter. He's trying to save money for his daughter. Well, in this particular case, you know, she's away at school, and so the. She doesn't like getting it done where she's at school. She likes the yeah. dealers down here doing her work. Sure. So the question sort of is, can you, can you go an extra thousand miles without too much trouble? Yes, and you can. Okay. Yes. I, right. don't, well, I don't normally overrule, Rick. But <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, thanks thank so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> we love hearing from you. Uh, Rick, uh, Ken is calling uh, from Lake Worth, and he has a question for you. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. How is everyone? Great. Good. Enjoy your show as I do every Saturday. My second time calling. I hope this is not going to be addictive for me. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I have kind of a question for Rick. Um, I've been a Toyota guy pretty much uh, for the last 25 years after a RAV that lasted me 20 good years with out any major repairs. Uh, Prius for 10 years, it has not been a problem at all. 
just bought my granddaughter a uh, Corolla and then ended up with a Lexus. And that is not the reason for my call, but just to compliment the product. Uh, I live in Florida for part of the year, and in the garage I keep a Ford Escape, a 2011. And I noticed with 43,000 miles on it, I get a sound like I have a pencil rolling around in the glove compartment. Hmm. Well, I emptied the glove compartment and drove the car and still sounds like there's a pencil rolling around in the glove compartment when I stop or when I start. Any any hints on what? That could be almost anything, but it, it sounds, if I had to guess, you got a screw loose. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, my, uh, I've, been, I've been pulled out more than once. <laughs> Somewhere, somehow, something has fallen into a crevice, and right. when you're when you're hitting the brakes, it's rolling around. When you're accelerating, it's rolling around. And the very difficult thing you're going to have finding something like that is even if you have somebody riding with you and they're trying to locate the exact location where that noise is, it can be very difficult because I have had sounds that it'll sound like it's coming from the bottom of the car and it's actually a roof rack loose. I've had others that sounded like there was a noise in the left front wheel and it turned out it was the windshield making a creaking noise up at the very top of the car. Sounds transmit and travel through cars in odd manners. And about all you can right. do is start searching every little cubby hole inside. Get rid of the Try car. to see if there's anything loose or rattling. Now. <laughs> but it, it, that one's going to be a search for it type I got, thing. I got it. I got right. it. Ear, earplugs. Either that or a loud radio. Well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't hear as it is anyway. So, this is, this is You're a real comedian. Lots of hearing. Well, here, here's, right, here's the I, final I option. Um, 47 cans of Fomofill and just fill the entire interior with Fomofill. Oh, you shouldn't be able to hear anything at that point. All right, right. I, I get to it. No, I, I, All I, right, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll give you I don't want to take up any more no, time. No, I'll give you a serious Pardon answer. I, here's a serious answer, Ken. Right. I would okay. c- come in, and Rick will ride around the car with you. And, you know, seriously, an experienced technician is more, is more likely to be able to, to pick up on the location. But if it's driving you crazy, I would definitely take it in and let somebody ride with me. And two heads are better than one. You might be able to figure it out. Rick will disassemble yeah, the, the car. Yeah, the last thing I'd want to do is take it into a Ford garage because I'm going to pay $500 for finding a loose screw. I hear you. <laughs> but so, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for your service. Thanks, Ken. Well, so there's welcome. there's equipment right. to, to look to find sounds, but not it's not going to tell you where it's coming from, right? If there's a sound, isn't there some sort of microphone thing that detects things? Well, we have things called chassis ears. They're, they're yeah. microphones you can attach in various places. To try to help you localize it, because especially if you've got a noise at 30 miles an hour, you can't have a person on the outside of the vehicle at 30 miles an hour. Well, you can, but but well, it's, it's, really it's tricky. <laughs> and I won't I won't even tell stories of some of the things we have done to find noises. Mm. Okay, where are we on? Uh, I got texts. Text good. Um, it's from Bob and Stuart. Uh, good morning. I'm interested in getting the new Corolla Hybrid. Um, first question: Is it the same body size as the regular Corolla? 
and also being the first year in production, has there been any service issues? Um, as far as the size of the of the car, yeah, it's the same size as the um, as the gas powered one. Um, it actually has a full size trunk. Sometimes you lose that when you do a hybrid. Um, it actually has like the fold down, which is uh, rear seats, which is also another unusual thing for hybrid. Um, um, our rule of thumb, and Earl says this all the time, in the first model year of a vehicle, it might be a good idea to hold off uh, making that purchase um, because we do see a, um, you know, a gr greater number of incidents earlier on. Um, I do know that, the, the and Rick can correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the, the drivetrain in the Corolla Hybrid is the same as the Prius, so that's gone through the shakedown over the years, but it is in a new body, in a new a chassis, and a, so th that's a valid concern. Um, I'm going to go with Earl's recommendation, just kind of hold off, read, read online, look at consumer reports, and see uh, what kind of things come up. Uh, Rick can address any specific things that he knows about now. Um, any issues with the uh, 2020 Corolla Hybrid? We haven't seen anything yet on them uh, specific, but again, you're matching the Corolla, which is one of the most successful cars Toyota has ever made, with a hybrid drive line that Toyota's been working on for the past 20 years that just simply hasn't seen very many you know major problems, issues yeah. they, they've really worked the bugs out on them mm -hmm. and i think they're going to be a successful vehicle yeah um but also bear in mind that the 2020 crawl is also a brand new re, uh, brand new design on the body so that i think the rule of thumb applies um you know we'd like to sell crawlers but um to be in an abundance of caution you know wait a little bit see what see yeah. what see what absolutely out. yeah Okay, we have another one. Um, hello, Earl. Um, in reviewing the out-the-door price affidavit, I believe it could stand a small revision. Quote, and purchased by is past tense, and the use of this form is prior to the final paperwork signing. Should these words, as well as the word purchaser, um, at the bottom be changed to and quoted to and potential customer? And that's from Andreas, who is a longtime Facebook fan, and he, he watches the show every week. That's a, a very sensible revision, and it's really easy to do. Well, actually, it's not. I can't use Microsoft Word on my on my Mac right now, so it's got to, until we have a <laughs> no, that's a good, week, good week suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. We'll yeah. make that change. Yeah. Um, here we go. Um, good morning. My cell phone number is a Louisiana number, but I live in Utah, so we have a texture from Utah. I bought your book, and it will arrive today. How hmm. exciting. Um, I watched and the your dog. He's a big dog ranch. Thank you. Exactly. Where's the woof? Okay. I'm yeah. waiting for the sound effects. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, great. 100% of the proceeds go to Big Dog Ranch Rescue. I love it when you get a notification from UPS that says your package will be delivered that day. It's mm -hmm. like Christmas yeah. every day. Um, anyway, I watch your numerous YouTube videos, and I did not realize how much I did not know about buying cars. How does USAA and Sam's Club Car Buying Club stack up against Costco? Both of those use TrueCar. I downloaded your Costco auto buying program tutorial, and I'm watching your live stream on YouTube right now, and that's from Don in Utah. He follows up a few minutes later, says, thanks, I'm, also, I'm a member of USAA and Sam's Club, and I'm thinking about getting a Costco membership based on Earl's recommendations. Great show. Well, thanks, Don. Well, USAA is an outstanding insurance outfit. They are partners with TrueCar. They own 20% of TrueCar's stock, and uh, they have special deals even better than True Car as USA members. So, if you follow the rules of the True Car program and you're a USAA member, it's a great way to go. Sam's Club, I'm not as familiar with their car buying program. Uh, as you know, I advocate the the Costco, and uh, we're in the uh, Florida Weekly uh, this week with the Costco uh, tutorial on how to use the Costco auto buying program. Uh, 
I think uh, the main thing I can advise you on with Costco is Costco auto buying program is extremely good, but it's also more complicated than it should be, and it leaves too many openings for the car dealers to take advantage of you. But if you go by my tutorial, EarlOnCars.com, Earl's Costco Auto Buying Program Tutorial, if you use that and follow each advice tab I give you, uh, you can get a great deal on a car at Costco. But the lowest price of that dealer will sell the car to anybody. So, great yeah. program. Uh, Sam's uh, The Sam's Auto Buying Program, I think it's similar to the similar. Walmart um, Car Saver Program, and it is not as good as the Costco. Okay. Yeah, they don't. Good. See, Costco puts serious restrictions on the dealership and the pricing guidelines. Mm -hmm. uh, Walmart, Sam's Club, it's not as strict, so the the deals are not as good. So um, Costco is a great is a good way to go. Very good. Um, last text, we got it, and we'll be caught up on my end. Um, this is from Jason in Abacoa. Um, should I let my engine idle in the morning before I input it in gear and drive? And if so, for how long? Rick? Yes, and three to five seconds is all you really need. Really? Yeah. I just throw it in reverse and haul it butt out of my driveway. I almost said. Okay. You well, almost did. I did. <laughs> I'm a very profane guy. We're caught up with text. We're caught up with anonymous feedback. Okay. And we might be. Let me uh, remind uh, our listeners that uh, Earl also has a column at Earl and Cars, and it is called Profiles of Car Dealer Victims. And uh, we all know, you know, there's a lot out there, meaning the uneducated, uh, the elderly, uh, the list does go on and on. So you want to go to Earl on Cars and, and take a look at that. Uh, let, me, let me make a, a comment about that article. Uh, the victims, uh, I classify them as the elderly, often widows, the very young, you know, first car kind of thing out of high school, first guy just right out of college. Uh, and those who don't speak or understand English well, uh, South Florida, we have a lot of uh, people that uh, English is not their first language. And the uneducated, let's face it, we have an education crisis in the United States. Uh, people with bad credit. Uh, all these people are victimized, and that's the reason, hence the title, um, Don't Be a Victim. That's the way car dealers make their money. When the educated consumer goes in, the people that read Earl and Cars, the people that listen to this radio show, people that subscribe to Consumer Reports, they are an equal match for the car dealers. And you can negotiate a good price. If the car dealers had to sell all their cars at the price you're able to negotiate by listening to the show, they'd go out of business. So how do they do it? They do it on the average. If you sell 100 cars a month, you want an average, probably, a $2,000 profit on every car you sell. Now, how do you do that? When the sharp, shrewd attorney comes in and negotiates the price, it may be $100 over net-net cost at that dealership. You do it by the widow who's never bought a car before. Her husband passed away four years ago. She walks into a car dealership, and the car dealer makes a $10,000 profit on that widow. Or the kid came in, you know, he just got out of school, never bought a car in his life, they take advantage of him. Or the person that can't read the contract because it's in English, and he doesn't read English, he reads Spanish. And that's the reason this is, a, I think, a particularly important uh, profile's of car dealer victims. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, not to mention uh, also, you know, you can purchase a vehicle and uh, not even know that it's been recalled. 
and uh, Earl talked about uh, the issues with uh, Takata and uh, his journey since 2016 to get these uh, cars off the road and to prevent them from being sold. So uh, go to Earl on Cars and you can read profiles of car dealer victims. Okay, Mystery Shopping Report time. I'm so excited. My favorite. You are in for a treat, everybody. Yeah, this, this is good. This is a good one, and I'm so proud of Agent Thunder yeah. for the way he he conducted the shop. We mystery shopped uh, West Palm Beach Nissan. Now, West Palm Beach Nissan, I believe, is owned by Terry Taylor. I think so. Yes, used to be owned by Napleton. Correct. And Terry Taylor, who is, by the way, just for you trivia fans out there, a great name. Uh, yeah, Terry Taylor owns more car dealerships than any other individual. It's not a public company. Terry Taylor owns something like. Oh, 80, yeah. 100 car dealerships. Yeah, and yeah. he has a unique uh, partnership arrangement. Like, he gets the general yeah. managers to buy in, and he's his name exactly. doesn't appear anywhere. This week, we shop West Palm Beach Nissan in Riviera Beach, Florida. I thought that was funny. <laughs> West Palm Beach Nissan in Riviera oh, Beach. Oh, that's true. Well, how about <laughs> Old Star Toyota in North Palm, Palm Beach, Beach in Lake, Lake Park? Park that's right? why I liked it. Yeah, okay. That's true. I, yeah. I get it. Earl Sterling Cars last paid them a visit back in 2017 when we investigated their lifetime warranty promotion. West Palm Beach Nissan was rewarded a pa uh, awarded a passing grade for being honest about the coverage and the uh, value of the warranty, and we put them on our recommended list. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. And that recommended list is going to be found on gooddealerbaddealerlist.com. Easy to remember, gooddealerbaddealerlist.com. We met, we went back this time with a different purpose. Uh, we want to test out the uh, out the door affidavit, out the door price affidavit, and uh, we, we we did this in response to an anonymous feedback said, "Why don't you do this?" And we said, "said Duh, we should have done this," and so we did it. Uh, real world situation, uh, we wanted to see if a dealer would commit in writing, sign an out the door price without any additional hidden fees, how would the salesperson react, the manager, what would happen? And we were advising you to do it, but we hadn't done it ourselves. So the suggestion was a no-brainer. We should have done it a long time ago. Yeah. West Palm Beach Nissan was a perfect choice for this mission. First and foremost, they have a large dealer fee. Second, they're running a new car special ad for $10,000 off MSRP on a new 2018 Nissan Maxima. 18. That's I said. Did I say 18? No, I'm just. Yeah. I'm, I'm 2018. Emphasis. Yeah. 18. I mean, that's hard to believe. It's not 2018 anymore. Exactly. That was and, last year. And West Pompey Nissan has 23 of these, and that tells you something about the Nissan business. It's not too good, folks. If, if some of you out there, and I think we had a call earlier about when business being bad, can you get a better price? Uh, I said not really. It's just up to your negotiation skills. Um, Nissan dealers are having a particularly bad time. As you probably know, their CEO is in jail and their chairman of the board is going to jail. I might have that reversed. Yeah. But uh, uh, they're, they're having a kind of a, a um, trauma with the American dealers. They're in crisis. They're in crisis. It's a manufacturer in crisis. Uh, so anyway, here we are. I West would be upset to have 2018 models right now. Yeah, that tells you how bad it is. 23, 2018 models, and this is we're selling 2020s now, folks. Two would be too much. Yeah, be careful, by the way, when you're responding to advertisements. When you say a new vehicle, 
You want to find out what year it is? I do want to say that I had to double check. I ran VINs. Yeah. I actually ran Carfax yeah. reports on these just to make sure they weren't used. Yeah. If it's in Florida, all you have to do is have a non-title car, and you can call it a new car. To me, that's stupid. You could have a 2014. Yeah. You could have a 1957. <laughs> right, seriously. <laughs> you could have any year car, as long as it hasn't been titled, and you could advertise that as a new car. Yep. But a car that is a 2018, essentially it's about two years old, it's going to have two years of depreciation. You better have a hell of a discount on it. A hell of a discount, exactly. Um, Okay, West Palm Beach Mission was the perfect choice. Okay, I did that. Uh, okay, we, we went to the fine print disclosure, and you have to go a few clicks. Uh, the number of clicks to get there is always a factor. Yep. And the fine print disclosure on this advertisement, uh, which was a $10,000 off MSRP, uh, was this. Please note, pricing includes all applicable factory rebates and incentives, including but not limited to, here we go military, college graduate, owner loyalty, or any other incentives or rebates. Um, what a joke that they can get away with this. Um, oh yeah, including, including but not limited financing with <laughs> Nissan Motor Acceptance Corporation. All pricing does not include our value package. That's, that's a... Uh, that's a value. What a value. Yeah, value package of $1,495, which includes two years maintenance. Might even be free by Nissan. I haven't checked. Two years maintenance, nitrogen-filled tires. Nitrogen, you know how we feel about nitrogen. Lifetime warrantied uh, tent. That's a joke. Exterior appearance protection and lifetime complimentary car washes. Uh, and they're charging you 1500 bucks to round that off. That's a joke. No mentions of dealer fees in that disclosure no, either. No, no mention at all. And the law requires that you include the dealer fee in the advertised price, which they didn't do. Maybe it was somewhere else. Maybe. Agent Thunder was called to take on the challenge. He selected a new 2018 Maxima SV, MSRP 36655 The sale price after the big discount was 26655 Ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen.com. www. Okay, here's a report speaking as if I am Agent Thunder. I arrived at West Palm Beach Nissan at noon. While I waited in the car for the rain to let up, I put a printed copy of the ad, some notes, and the out the door price affidavit in a manila folder. Then I ran inside. I was greeted right away by Yellen. I think it's Yeffen. I think it's Yellen. Well, on the buyer's order, oh, I said Yeffen. Oh, Yellen, Yeffen. Thunder. You have a... Potato, potato. Okay. Yeffen. A Russian-born salesperson who spoke very fast. Now, I would have a problem. Yes, you would. I would have a problem. I have a problem with accents, I have to tell you, and Russian accents in particular, and people who talk fast. Uh, and sometimes I'm accused of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yellen and Yeffen asked what it was that brought me in, and I told them about the new car special I saw in the 2018 Maxima. He knew about the offer. That's interesting. Usually the salespeople don't know about the offer. Told me to follow him. Uh, on the way to the desk, he said that he hoped that I qualified for the offer. Now, that to me indicates premeditation. Oh, yeah. He knew what was going on. He was ready. And quickly assured me that he would make it happen, whatever that means. Yellen asked me to wait for him to get the keys. When he returned, he led me right to the lot. 
without getting my driver's license. Uh, the dealer wouldn't have liked that. That's an insurance issue. We found the car, and Yellen handed me the keys. On the test drive, Yellen talked mostly about the deal, not the car, and that's not good. That's, you know, that's raw, raw salesmanship there. It's not good at all. He said the offer was too good to pass up. He explained that these cars were the last of the 2018s, and they already had 2020 models on the lot. Now, that should raise a red flag if you didn't know that, but he's reminding you. Uh, they were priced to move. When we got back, Yellen asked me how I felt about doing a deal today if all the numbers look good to me. Classic, old-school question. And the trial close. And the trial close. Back at the desk, I opened the manila folder I've been carrying, pulled out the papers I brought. I showed my notes where I totaled out the, had the out-the-door price. I thought it was, by the way, I thought that was a nice little technique. So he totaled it up without any fees and said, There's, that should yeah. be my out-the-door price. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the reason I thought Agent Thunder did a great job. Yeah. And he totaled it up. It was 26 655 And the only thing I added, I'm Agent Thunder, was the sales tax and $300 for the tag. Reasonable. And the out-the-door price I came up with was out-the-door, 28554 That's the out-the-door price. If, you, if, if the ad was true, that's what it would be. That's exactly right. Yellen looked dismayed. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to visualize a oh, dismayed, no. a dismayed Russian. Dismayed, can't visualize that. He said it needed more information um, before he could get the numbers for me. He said my numbers weren't exactly right. Okay, sounds like a smart guy. Yellen is a smart guy. He looked at the affidavit, asked me what it was. I went over with it, over the affidavit with him. I said I had downloaded it on a car buying website. I said it was to protect me from having any hidden fees or unwanted accessories, dealer installed type, added to the, my price after we agreed upon it. Yellen said he would need to see, uh, show this to a manager, but first he needed to know how I was paying for it and whether uh, I needed a new tag or it was a transfer. I said I was financing and I planned to put down $8,000. I said my credit was perfect. I needed a new tag. Answered all his questions. A seemingly dazed Yellen. Did he stagger? Frank, he's yeah. never encountered a customer yeah. like Agent Did he take a quick drink? Yeah. Right. He, he pulled a flask out of his Yellen went door. to the manager. Some he returned with Jonathan, who was holding a worksheet, style buyer's order. Um, he sat down and said he was glad to meet me. He said he'd never seen anything like my affidavit before. He said... He, he felt a little cautious about it. He said he'd like to go over my numbers before getting back to the subject of the affidavit, you know, hoping I would forget about the affidavit, probably. Misdirection. <clears throat> yeah. Top, top line was MSRP 36655 Next came a 10750 discount. I, I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. For an adjusted price of 25905 then they added a fourteen ninety five value package. We went over that nitrogen and that kind of thing. Uh, one hundred thirty seven fifty in taxable fees. That's becoming commonplace. The dealers have adopted the misnomer uh, taxable fees to disclose dealer fees. So taxable fees or dealer fees, dealer fees or hidden fees or taxable taxable fees. So anything to confuse the buyer. And $999 dock fee. Now, there's a taxable fee, but they just called it a dock fee. 
and it's also a hidden fee because they didn't put it in the disclosure. Uh, I'm, I know I'm confusing you. I'm confusing myself. And you would be confused if you're buying the car, and that's the whole purpose of what they do. They added a sales tax and $450 in non-tax fees. My out-the-door price was $30,748. A little bit higher than, than the agents figured, yeah. yeah. He pointed out the value package and said it included window tent, tire protection, free car washes, blah, blah, blah. I pointed to the affidavit and said that if he signed it, he uh, would I, have... I apologize. I'm sorry. He pointed to the affidavit. Yeah. I wrote that wrong. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I point, yeah, he pointed to the affidavit and said that if he signed it, he would have to do that for all the customers. So <laughs> he pulled that out of the uh, briefing they get on the deal, dealer fee. When you say, take off the dealer fee, they say, can't do that because we'd have to do it for all the customers. That's untrue. Or, or they have to refund millions of dollars to all their customers <laughs> right. from the past. Yeah. I've heard that before. Yeah, that's not true. You don't. You can charge one person a dealer fee and not charge another person a dealer fee, but they say that they have to charge everybody if they charge one. That's not true. But he applied that to the whole idea of the affidavit, and because he couldn't think of anything better to say. Uh, he just couldn't do it. Instead, he said he might be able to split that with me. Well, if you split it, you'd have to split it for everybody, wouldn't you? But you don't want to get logical. Okay. Right. You don't want to get logical. With Logic that. did not come into play. No. He said he couldn't do anything about the doc fee. Well, he really can't because it's a dealer doing it. Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor's responsible for the I doc fee. And try to get Terry Taylor on the phone sometime. Uh, he wanted to be sure I understood. I would be a little off the numbers. <laughs> a little... Uh, that I'd come up with. He said that technically, I didn't qualify for the $10,000 discount offer, but he's gonna do it anyway. Nice guy. And uh, Agent Thunder could have said, but aren't you gonna have to do it for, for everybody? everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, logic does not come into play here. This deal he said was good as it was going to get. I said, great. So I have my out the door price, can you fill out and sign the affidavit? So we're giving him the, okay, that's fine. Will you sign this? So, so I know nothing else will be added later on or in the finance department. Jonathan replied that he would have to call the general manager about it. So oh, So Yellen couldn't do it. His boss couldn't do it. Now we're going to go to the general manager to see if he can do it. He left me with Yellen. We sat quietly for a minute. So I thought that was funny. They had yeah. nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> we stared at each other yeah. for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> another manager, not the GM, came over and said he was Charles. Well, he said he was General Motors, but General Motors, he said he was general manager, but he was just Charles. Charles started telling, telling me he was uh, taking over Jonathan. Jonathan couldn't take it. Yeah. I'm confused. <laughs> Get me out of here. He held the affidavit and said he really didn't have a problem with it. But he'd feel more comfortable signing it once he knew I was 100% comfortable right. purchasing the car once I had all my final numbers. And that that's, defeats the whole part. I'll sign it to yeah. sign it after you And that's the, the reason car. I want you to sign it, because I'm not 100% comfortable. And, and I don't care if you're 100% comfortable. I'm the customer. I showed him the worksheet and said, I have my final numbers here. I did it. I calculated 30748 You told me that's final. I see it. I have them. Sign it. He replied that by not having run my credit yet, it was possible numbers may change. And I said... Well, that's the most honest thing that he said. Yeah, that's true. It's going to change I said when my you credit wouldn't have any effect on the sale price or out-the-door figure. I already told you. I had excellent credit. Charles said, well, we can't sign anything until you actually purchase the car. <laughs> 
then he, had, he had, wanted to be strange with the customer, didn't sign anything until they actually, you can't, you can't purchase the car. What's that called? A, uh, a Mexican standoff. Mexican standoff, right. Probably politically incorrect to say that. It's a, it's a Pulp Fiction standoff. Yeah. Then he added, maybe if you give me a deposit, I could call the GM to see about signing him. You know, he was supposed to be the GM, and he, he's not the GM. I asked if he'd take a $100 deposit. This is a, my proudest moment for Agent Thunder. Actually, whipped out his credit card and gave him a $100 deposit so he'd sign the damn out-the-door price affidavit. He, he, he did the trial close on uh, Charles. He's, yeah. if, if I could, would you? Yeah. If I, if, if I give you the, will, will you call him? Yeah. He said, yeah. So Charles went back to an office for a few minutes and came back. And he said, the GM, the real GM, because Charles said he was the GM. He didn't call this guy. Yeah. He said the GM doesn't feel comfortable signing it, which means it wasn't going to get signed. I tell you what, this is absolutely, you know. I got up and collected all my paperwork. I said I needed to get to work, but I'd be back over the weekend to pick up whatever, when, when we, where we left off. They all looked relieved. <laughs> see me leave and I can understand that. I wish I could have been there. So uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what happened. We don't know what the price was. It might have been a good price. Uh, we don't know. Uh, new 2019 Maximas have $3,250 in rebates. It's possible the leftover 2018 may have even larger, but we were unable to find this information. Yep, nowhere. True car, uh, Edmonds. Yeah. Too old of a car. Too old yeah, of there's a just car. probably <laughs> very few 2018s anywhere. And so they're unique, and um, I would say that they're going to lose a lot of money on those cars. Yeah. I think they spent the settlement that Nissan gave them. Nissan, as Sue said earlier in the show, they'll give them, look, you got 18 or you got 23 of these. We'll give you $1,000 for each one. Now you're on your own. Do the best you can. They took the 23000 and used it to... Uh, you know, paint the dealership or something, and now they still need to sell those cars and try to mark them up, and they can't do it. So here we are. What time is it? Oh, we got a little bit of time. Uh, we can vote on these folks, and they're on the recommended list now. That's West Palm Beach Nissan and uh, Riviera Beach. They're uh, on the recommended list for Nissan dealers. Uh, do we want to keep them on the list? How do you want to vote? And uh, this is where I uh, you know, it says on the says on the buyer's order that uh, it is Yefin. Okay. Y-E-F-I-N. But maybe they just misspelled his name. Yefin. Y-E-F-I-M. Koza. Yefim Koza. Yefim. Yefim Koza. Probably a nickname. Could be, yeah. So how do we want to vote? Uh, uh, we got any text votes? Yeah, we do. Uh, Linda was the first to chime in on Facebook, and she says a crazy big fat F <laughs> and an A for Agent Thunder. Dean gives him an F, Mel gives him a D minus, and Gabby gives him an F. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, we don't know what was going to happen, like we said. And who knows, maybe he could have gotten the finance and still gotten $10,000 off the car. Shaved that down a little bit when you add the dealer fees and the appearance package, and it might still be a good deal. We don't know. I And I, and, and be honest with you, I don't think I can fault them for being confused with the affidavit. I'm just, I mean, they might not be allowed like if, uh, to, to sign something that yeah. they thought was legal. Yeah. They weren't rude about it, I, but but the whole thing, the, the the bait and switch, the big discount thing, kind of falls in the whole category of ain't going to happen. Dot com. Every, everybody so doesn't. I'm going to give them a D minus. Yeah. Uh, I think that's. Uh, yeah. I won't give my opinion yet. Uh, let's go to Nancy. Uh, Stu, wouldn't it have uh, gone 
better if they would have admitted, uh, listen, uh, we have never seen the affidavit. Uh, we really don't know what it's about. So uh, let us check on this. Let's check the legalities. Wouldn't it have made the dealership look? Oh yeah, sure. A lot. Well, here's, I mean, my opinion, okay, if I put myself in their role and somebody comes up to me and they ask me to sign it, I would be cautious about doing something like sure. that. However, if I knew that what I was doing in that transaction, I wasn't adding anything else to the, the price, then I wouldn't have a problem signing. I don't care how legalistic it looked like. If you I was know, gonna, maybe, and that's maybe the point. We add, maybe we add a supplement when we're revising the uh, affidavit that gives the uh, dealer the right to put in his own words that all we want you to do is say, I guarantee that this is the out the door price plus tax and tag only. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be acceptable. Yeah. I mean, they accept, uh, you know, when you're working a deal here, sign this napkin yeah. here. I promise to pay or yeah. I commit to paying this number. So. So, uh, you know, I, re I really think the tables turned, mm -hmm. and that was the reason why they were so nervous. And how could so much go so wrong in such a short amount of time, you know? And, hey, what the heck is it with the nitrogen? Nitrogen, <laughs> schmeitrogen. Everybody I'm going to give them an F. There you go. And, uh, you know, Agent Thunder walked in with a manila folder. Wow, it was like as if he walked in with a machine gun. <laughs> Had the effect My on hat's off to Agent Thunder. <laughs> Rick, we got any online votes? We do. Uh, Mark Smith from Iowa says F. Tim in Florida gives him a C plus. Glenn Schmitz, an F. Frank, of course, a D minus. And for me, I'm going to say a D because I I liked watching him squirm. That was fun. Yeah, I, that I, was. I really wish we could wire Agent Thunder for video and audio because that yeah. was fun. Very exciting. So, before you weigh in, we have, a, we have a good comment here from Steve on Facebook. He says, good dealer, bad dealer list is strictly pass-fail, um, but we do letter grades on the show. Yeah. Can we add the letter grades we to should, the thing? And, and we will going forward. And this forward. has been recommended before, yeah. and we dropped the ball. I apologize. We definitely need to give a, a range because you can have one guy that just barely passed, another guy that really did a good job. Yeah. So we need to... And we've we've put notes on there before, like uh, recommended list with an asterisk yeah. for caution, like high dealer fees or um, addendums. Can we get that done by next week? Yeah. Let's do it. We'll do it. Thank you very much for the suggestion. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And okay. Grape One says D. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to pass them um, with a D minus like Stu did. And the reason being that Everybody uh, out there, all the car dealers, virtually all, are employing these tactics. It's it, it pains me uh, to have to do it because I get, uh, you know, they they're lying, but all the car dealers are lying. Uh, they um, they they try to deceive you. Uh, they pack the uh, prices with uh, hidden fees and qualifications, and and uh, but that's just the way it's played. And if you're going to buy a car in Florida, you're going to have to go through that. We're tilting at windmills. Yeah. How, um, how often do we really get a chance to see this happen and see, uh, I think, who was it, uh, Stu, that you, somebody used the word squirm. Mm -hmm. And that was the most exciting part about this mystery shopping report. Yeah. Well, it felt know? good, you know. And, and, and it's so complacent that everybody does it. Every, all the car dealers, you know, they're trying to make money. They're doing this, they're doing that. Well, <laughs> it's nice, like I said before, the tables were turned. Yeah. Thank you, Agent Thunder. You know, interesting enough, I uh, got a text back from uh, Bobby, and he was talking about 
the um, personal injury lawyers that were reacting and suing under the Takata airbag. Guess who's suing under the Takata airbag? Who? Jack Scarola, Cersei Denny, Barnhart uh-huh. and Shipley. Where'd he get that Scarola. idea from? And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. And, good job, Jack. Uh, I happen to know Jack Scarola uh, pretty well. And I'll be talking to Jack about that. He's a little familiar with the Takata issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Immediately. Very good. Okay, I guess we're at the uh, end of the trail. We I, are. We are I indeed. like this show. Yeah. Yeah. It this was, was a good one. Yeah, this was great. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, you are an important part of the show. And uh, we thank you for taking time to join us on Saturday mornings. And on behalf of myself, uh, uh, Stu, Jonathan, Rick, and uh, most of all, the host of the show, the hostess with the mostess, we all want to thank you and have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you next week.